You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Okay, well, we'll pray and get into the Word tonight. I'm, I'm very excited about what we're going to talk about tonight. Father, thank you so much for our time together tonight, Lord. We look forward to what you have for us from the Word of God. Father, I thank you that your Word is alive. And Father, I thank you that as we feed on it tonight, we're going to be fed. I thank you that our faith is going to grow and increase and the quality of our faith, Father, is gonna become better and stronger. Father, I thank you tonight for each and every person that's a part of this Bible study. And Lord, I thank you that not only will you anoint me to be able to speak the word, but Father, you'll anoint each one to be able to hear and to receive and to bring revelation to us by the Holy Ghost. And Father, I thank you that as the book of James says, we'll not just be hearers only, but we'll be doers of what we hear as well. And we thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, this is uh, week number eight of our series on spiritual warfare. And you have a, you have a question, Barb? Go ahead. Ruby trying to get on, but she said the host is telling her that you're in another meeting. Oh. No, tell her to go to the homepage and click on the link there. And it should bring her right in. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. Okay. Everybody else got on fine, didn't they? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. So anyway, this is uh, week number eight in our series on spiritual warfare. While I'm talking for a moment, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians, the sixth chapter, Ephesians chapter six, and uh, we'll read those scriptures in just a moment. But we're again talking about spiritual warfare and we're couple of things that we've been saying every single week, and, and I want to reiterate this again, and that is that spiritual warfare, our spiritual warfare has already been fought and won by the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when he was on the cross, when he was dead, and when he was raised from the dead, so the devil is already a defeated foe. Every demonic force, every force of the kingdom of darkness has already been defeated by the Lord Jesus. And so, as we've been saying, we always, as believers, approach spiritual warfare from the place of, we already have the victory, we're not trying to get the victory, okay? Jesus already won the victory, already gave it to us, and it's ours. We're just here to occupy and enforce that victory upon the kingdom of darkness and remind them of what the Lord Jesus did. So we said there are three different aspects to spiritual warfare, and it, and it kind of goes in this progression. We said it's taking control of your mind or renewing your mind to the Word of God, doing something with your soul, with your mind, your will, and your emotions. The second thing is, is crucifying your flesh or dealing with your flesh. Um, you know, the phrase crucifying the flesh means just putting to death the, the inappropriate, incorrect, ungodly desires of our flesh. And uh, the Bible says that we have the power and the ability to be able to do that. 
And then after you've done, after you've dealt yeah. with your mind and after you have dealt with your flesh, then deal with the enemy, deal with your adversary. Because, in, and the reason for that, as we've talked before, is that, uh, you know, it, it, if we deal with those first two, we have eliminated a large portion or a, a great deal of his access into our lives. And so we kind of head him off at the pass in a lot of areas when we do that. All right, so let's go to Ephesians chapter six. I wanna begin in verse 10. And we're gonna read verses 10 through 18, and this is our foundation scripture. And so it says this, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the trickery or schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having gird your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith with which you shall be able or with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God in verse 18 and praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And so in there by the Holy Spirit, Paul lists all of the armor of God that belongs to us. And we're going to talk about a couple of more pieces of that armor tonight. We have, we've already talked about, and, and again, there's no particular order that we're covering these in. In other words, it's we're not covering them in order of importance, we're just covering them. And uh, if you'll recall, we said that there were three defensive weapons, three defensive weapons, and those are the breastplate, the shield, and the helmet. And then we said there are three offensive weapons, and those are the shoes, what we put on our feet spiritually, the sword and the lance, L-A-N-C-E. So we have those three defensive weapons and we have the three offensive weapons. Okay, so I'm glad God hasn't left us spiritually naked to deal with, with the enemy. He's clothed us and notice that it says that it's his armor that we're clothed in and so again, those defensive weapons protect us and give us the confidence and assurance that we need so we can move forward in our spiritual growth. And then those offensive weapons are the weapons that enable us to demonstrate Satan's already obtained defeat, okay? So we talked last time, uh, a couple of weeks ago, about the helmet of salvation. I'm not gonna recover any of that tonight, you can go back and look at the notes or listen to the, the, the recording of, of last time we were together. But I want us to understand something that battles will come, but you need to understand this. They're not necessarily gonna come every day. In other words, don't go looking for battles. Battles will find you when the time comes, okay? So, you know, again, 
We don't, we don't posture ourselves in a way that we're looking for the devil under every bush and doorknob and everything else. No, just know that when battles come, they will come on their own. You don't have to go find them. They will seek you out. But God has given us this spiritual weaponry so that when they do come, we will be prepared to maintain our position of victory over Satan. So again, we're not out looking for a fight. The fight will come on its own and just know that you are clothed and ready for the fight. And the key is to stay ready for that fight, okay? So let's drop down to Ephesians chapter six and verse 17. Again, it says, and take the helmet of salvation. We talked about that last time. And then the second part of that verse says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now I'm gonna break this down, be very kind of detailed because you need to understand. Now you remember we said that uh, the Holy Spirit used this analogy, if you will, in the life of Paul uh, to, to teach us these things because there was literally a Roman soldier that was guarding him at all times while he was in the prison at Rome when he wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus. And so I want to, again, show you some pictures to kind of help you. I, it helps me as a, you know, to, to visually see some things. And so I want to show you some things. Let me um, show you this. This is a picture of a Roman soldier, as you would have seen him back then. So this could have been, now he wouldn't have had his shield. Um, and we'll talk more about the sword in just a moment. But what I want you to see is, is notice his helmet, notice the breastplate, everything that he had on. And you remember we talked about uh, the loin belt of truth. And you remember we said that all of his weaponry and everything that he carried was suspended on that belt. And you can see that here as all of this is attached to his belt. And uh, so we talked about that last week and having the, the loin belt of truth. And so in talking about that, let's talk again about the sword of the spirit. Okay. Now I had another picture. Uh, bear with me one second here. And uh, let me find something that I want to show you. Okay. All right, you might remember this guy. We, uh, we looked at him last time as well. Now notice this sword that he has in his hand or that he has his hand on that is actually there on his belt. There were five different swords that the Roman soldier had access to. Now in our language, we would say sword for something big like you see here uh, you know, for a pocket knife, we would call it a, a knife, those types of things. We have different names for different sizes of swords, cutting instruments, however you want to articulate it. Whereas in the Greek language, it, it didn't vary as much as it does in the English language. So that's why when you hear Paul say, you know, take up the sword of the spirit, what you, uh, what you notice is that there are gonna be different types of swords that he's referring to because that Roman soldier did not carry just one type of sword. So let's talk about these different types because this is important. 
All right, so uh, this type of sword right here is called a gladius sword, G-L-A-D-I-U-S. And this is that big sword that you saw on his side there. It was very big, very wide, and very heavy. It was a broad-shouldered sword. Um, you know, and it was a very beautiful instrument, but it was the most cumbersome and awkward to use. And uh, a lot of times it was referred to as a two-handed sword because as you can imagine, something this big and this heavy, if you were really going to be using it in battle, it might take two hands in order to swing it uh, for it to be effective. Now, after uh, the Romans went to war with a group of people called the Carthaginians, they realized that this sword <clears throat> would not work in battle. So they eventually stopped using this heavy gladius sword because they just found that it wasn't as effective in hand-to-hand in -hand battle as they wanted it to be. So they went to something a little bit different. And that brings us to the second sword. And let me find that one. Okay, and that is what I showed you a moment ago. Notice this sword. This is um, this sword is narrower and it's shorter. It was approximately uh, the blade itself was uh, less than two feet long, and it was two and a half inches wide, and it was much lighter and easier for the soldier to use. As you can imagine, notice this guy here. He only has it with one hand. And so that is what they had a tendency to carry in the scabbard on their side and keep with them quite often. So in that, Paul is referring to this. And then there is a, another sword that they would carry. And I'll show you that one. And uh, let's see. That was an even shorter sword uh, with a wide blade. Okay, again, notice that as the Roman army got better and better, their weapons became more and more effective. Now, again, they were positioning and posturing themselves for hand-to-hand -hand combat with these things, but this third sword was even shorter than the second one. It almost looked like a dagger and not a sword because it was short. It was carried in a small hidden scabbard beneath the soldier's outer coat and was used to inflict a mortal wound in the heart of the enemy. You have to understand when the Roman soldiers were going to battle, a lot of their enemies also wore armor as the Roman soldiers did. So they needed weapons that were going to be effective in piercing that armor. And so what the Romans did is they started studying their enemies and finding weak points in the enemy's armor and the shorter sword worked much better in being more effective in being able to, to kill their enemy because they were able to take it and get it into those weak areas of their opponent's armor. And then there was the fourth sword that we'll look at. And let me find that picture. And this was a long and narrow, very narrow sword. Um, and was used more, actually, this sword they practiced with more than they used in actual combat. Now, this would be something, uh, you know, if you've ever 
studied medieval times, you know, like the Knights of the Round Table and so forth. A lot of times this is the type of sword that we picture that they carried. The Roman soldiers did not actually carry this type of sword in battle. And as I said, they trained with it and practiced with it more than they did anything else. Okay. And then that brings us to the final and last type of sword. And the re there's a method to my madness here. So bear with me here. Okay. And uh, let me find this right here is the sword that Paul is referring to when he says, put on the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the spirit. Now notice this is a very, very small sword. We would almost consider this a knife. It was probably, uh, you know, maybe 19, 12 to 19 inches long. It wasn't very long at all, but it was extremely sharp. Both edges on this sword were extremely sharp. And as, as again, as the weaponry of the Romans evolved, what they started doing was, now not to be too graphic, but I have to tell you this, they would take the tip of this sword and curve it up so it wouldn't be straight. They would take maybe a half inch to an inch of it and they would curve it up. And the reason for this is when they jabbed it in their enemy and they pulled it out, it would literally gut their enemy. It would cause their organs to start coming out of their body. And so what's interesting about this is this is the Greek word, and let me spell it for you. It's M-A-C-H-A-I-R-A, M-A-C-H-A-I-R-A, or Machaira, as it was called. And again, it was razor sharp, had that curved in on it so that it could uh, gut the enemy when it was removed from the enemy's body. Now, if you can imagine an adversary that saw one of these in a soldier's arm coming, or, or in his hand coming at them, would strike terror and fear in that opponent, okay? Now, there is a particular reason that Paul, by the Holy Spirit, refers to it. If you look it up in the Greek language, it is the word Machaira, as is shown here in this picture. It's when he talks about the sword of the spirit. Now here's why Paul used this particular sword. Is our sword, the sword of the spirit, which we know in advance is the word of God, listen, is designed to rip your enemy to shreds. It is extremely sharp it is potent in what it does, and it gets the job done, okay? So, Machaira is this sword. It was that, sh that short sword, most effective in battle and hand-to-hand -hand combat. But notice Paul doesn't just say, take up the sword. He says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, we have talked about that phrase, the word of God in other lessons, the word in the Greek language for this phrase, word of God, is the Greek word rhema, R-H-E-M-A. And this again is a very familiar word to us. It's a word that's used some in the New Testament. And it, and it means this, a word that is spoken clearly, 
vividly in undeniable language and it is unmistakable and quest unquestionable and, and specific in what it says. Okay. Now, why is this? Why did Paul use this word when he was referring to the word of God? Because this word carries with it the idea of a quickened word or a word that is inspired by the Holy Ghost for a specific moment, for a specific reason at a specific time. Okay. In other words, the Holy Spirit will move in your spirit when you are facing an adversary, perhaps that is bringing an attack into your life, the Holy Spirit will cause a word from the written word of God to come up out of your spirit. And it is divinely inspired at that moment for that particular purpose. And it imparts power and direction to the believer. Now, you remember we said that that sword that the Roman soldier used is extremely sharp. Um, and it had that pointed end on it. Well, that's exactly what the Holy Ghost will do when he imparts and brings that word up out of your spirit in order for you to use it in that moment. Now, just make a note of this scripture, John chapter 14 and verse 26, John 14, verse 26, Jesus said this, but the helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. So what the Holy Ghost, part of his ministry in our lives is to take the word that we have heard and imparted into our hearts, deposited down on the inside of us. And when it is needed and necessary, he, he will illuminate and bring that word up out of your spirit. And when he does, it is especially anointed for that moment. It has supernatural divine power to accomplish what it is designed to accomplish in that moment. In other words, a rhema word is a specific word or message that the Holy Spirit quickens in our hearts and our minds for a specific time and a specific purpose. Okay. Now, what do I mean by that? When this happens, the Holy Spirit floods our spirit with faith in this particular word. And it is spoken to us in a way that it is undeniable. It is clear what it is for. Now here's the, the, the goal and the purpose. And that is it doesn't just stay in your heart. It is designed for you to put it in your mouth. We'll talk more about that in just a second. Now, one, one translation translated this scripture this way. The sword that the spirit wields as he draws forth a special word from God. This is a Holy Ghost sword that he puts in your hands at a particular moment for a particular purpose. And it is a special word from God. Now, um, again, you remember we talked about the loin belt. So this is why it is so important. Now listen to me carefully. It is very important that you and I on a consistent basis, 
are departing or are, are imparting rather are depositing the word of God down into our spirits even when we don't need it. All right. Now, why is this such a big deal? Because when you do that, you're giving the Holy Ghost something to work with when you need it. See, let me say it to you this way. The Holy Spirit can't bring up anything up out of your spirit that he that you have not already put in there. I'm going to say that to you again. The Holy Spirit cannot recall to your mind and your spirit something that you have not deposited in there. Okay? Now, you know, and of course, if you're new at this and you're learning the word, God will help you. But but those of us that have been been walking with the Lord for a while, we are kind of without excuse. We need to be depositing this word, God's word, down on the inside of us. And again, I, I've said this a hundred times to you, but uh, you know, it always, it, 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 I'm reminded of it. You know, John Osteen used to say, "If you'll put the word in your heart when you don't need it, it will be there when you do need it." Let me say that again. If you will put the word in your heart when you don't need it, it will be there when you do need it. Okay? So, rhema words are both given and supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit to enable you to withstand the enemy's spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical attacks. Okay? So, he has equipped us with this sword. So again, what we're, what we're saying is this. The written word of God is that big gladius sword. You remember that big sword that was two-handed? Okay. So the Bible, the written word of God is that big sword. Okay. It, it, it's great. It's awesome. It serves its purpose. But listen to me carefully. It's not designed for pinpoint precision. There are specific words in the written word of God that the Holy Ghost will bring up into your heart that are specific for that, that moment, for that purpose, that have pinpoint precision. Okay? So that's why it's so important that you understand the difference between the two. Um, you know, that... Again, there's nothing wrong. I mean, we need the, the gladius sword. We need the full word of God, all right? But on occasion, uh, there's going to come times when we need that rhema word. We need that specific word where we need that word of direction. We need that word of instruction. We need that word that God will, will cause to come up in our hearts that is designed for that specific moment, all right? There is a, a Roman historian in talking about the Roman armor and their methods of battle. He said this, a stroke with the edges of that sword, that little small Machaira sword, though made with ever so much force, seldom kills as the vital parts of the body are defended by both bones and armor. On the contrary, a stab though it penetrates but just two inches, can be generally fatal to one's enemy. So think about that big, heavy sword. You know, you can use that and you can hit people and knock them upside the head and all of that, but you're not going to do that much damage. 
It's when you have that Makaira, that little uh, potent, extra sharp, pertinent, uh, piercing sword that you're going to have the most success. So that's why it's very important, again, that we keep the word of God in our hearts. And then listen, the other part of that is place a dependability on the Holy Ghost to help you when you're facing opposition, when you're facing an attack. Give him permission to, to equip you with that sword. Give him the ability to be able to speak to your heart. You know, pray something, you know, like this, that, Lord, I'm, I'm having a difficult time right now, and I would appreciate it if by the Holy Spirit, you would quicken the word that I need for this moment down on the inside of me. And then, you know, spend some time praying in the Spirit, if you like, and give the Holy Ghost an opportunity to bring that up in your heart, and it'll equip you in order to be able to pierce that enemy. But this is exactly what Paul had in mind when he talked about that Machaira, that small little sword, and he referred to it as the sword of the Spirit. Now, many people mistakenly think that they have to memorize the entire Bible before God can do this for them. And that just absolutely is not the truth. It's not necessary for a person to know the entire Bible in order to have the sword of the Spirit at your disposal. But it is important that you know some things, okay? That you have some things down in your heart. A specific word for, for, from the Lord does not have to be long and complicated. You know, a lot of times we think it, it has to be extra deep and extra long and extra complicated. And what I have found in my walk with the Lord is that most of the time when the Holy Ghost quickens something like this in my spirit at a, at a time when I need it, it's usually very short, very pertinent, very much to the point, and, and it's enough to get me what I need, okay? All right, let, let me give you some examples of some people in the Bible that, that um, experienced this type of rhema word that I'm talking about, and, and it wasn't a big, long dissertation, okay? So let me just bring these to your remembrance, all right? So these were simple instructions, simple words from God that the Holy Spirit brought to these people. So think about Noah. You know, we know about the story of Noah, but if you go back and you look in the book of Genesis, the instructions that Noah received from the Lord on building the ark and about the flood coming, it was not you know, 16 chapters worth of, of text. It was a few verses that were very specific instructions that the Lord gave to Noah about building the ark so that he could preserve his family and therefore uh, preserve the lineage that God wanted in the earth. If you think about Noah, or excuse me, Abraham and his instructions in Genesis chapter 12, it, you know, it was basically three or four sentences. Get up from your father's house and go to a land that I will show you. Very specific instruction, very simple, but and not long and drawn out, but it was to the point. Now here's why the Lord does that. Because he gives you something simple that is easy for you to obey. Okay? It it it, it you know, he knows that if it was real complicated, 
it would make it harder for us to obey. But when he gives us something and it is extremely simple, extremely brief and to the point, then obedience is very easy for us in the sense of uh, if we don't obey, it's just simply because we don't want to obey. All right. So Abraham, listen, his instructions that began his relationship with God were only 75 words. That's all. 75 words that began that covenant relationship. And think about this. Those 75 words when Abraham obeyed, and of course he was Abram back then, but when he obeyed those 75 words, it opened the door for a covenant relationship between he and God that, that caused the birth of a nation, that caused the lineage of the Lord Jesus to be able to come into the earth and caused basically God's plan of redemption to begin to unfold. 75 words of simple instruction. Think about uh, Joseph. You know, um, here he was, great-grandson of Abraham, all right? And so think about the instructions that he got were in just two simple dreams. They weren't long and complicated, just simple little dreams. The things that God told him were very short, very brief. Now think about Moses. When Moses was on the backside of the Midian desert and encountered the burning bush, read that encounter and, and what happened, what transpired there. It was not a long drawn out conversation. It was a very brief conversation between he and God in the burning bush and where he received the instructions about going to deliver God's people from the hand of Pharaoh, okay? Then think about how about Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus? You know, her instructions in Luke chapter 1 and 2, very brief. The angel came and, and basically told her what her instructions were, you know, and the only part of the conversation that she asked a question about was, how is this going to be? And she had right to ask that question, and the angel explained it to her, and that's all there was to it. And think about that. Those simple instructions or what opened the door for the birth of the Lord Jesus. I mean, don't lose the magnitude of what God did through that simple rhema word that he brought to Mary. I mean, the birth of our Savior came about because of a rhema word that was given to Mary. All right? And again, it was simple and brief. How about... Uh, Paul, formerly known as Saul of Tarsus. Think about in Acts chapter 9 when he had his encounter with the Lord on, on the road to Damascus. Very brief. You know, basically, the light shone, knocked Saul off of his, his donkey or camel, whatever he was riding, and the, basically the question was posed to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul responded and said, uh, Lord, what is it that I'm to do? And so very simple instructions were given to Saul. And as you know, he became uh, the Apostle Paul, ended up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. Here's my point, is that when God speaks to you and he brings that rhema word to you, it is going to be simple, it is going to be brief, it is going to be precise, and it will be something that you can easily obey if your heart 
is bent on obeying him. Okay. So that's what I, I, I wanted you to see in that. So let's talk about, and this is something we've talked about before, but go over with me to Hebrews chapter four, please. So again, we talked about this Machaira sword that Paul is making reference to. And notice it was, when I showed you the picture, it was a two-edged sword, a two-edged sword. In other words, it had the ability to cut on both sides. Okay, so that's what a two-edged sword is. Now notice this, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says this, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any natural two-edged sword. And I added that word natural in there because that's what he's drawing the analogy to. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. If you don't mind, uh, make a note of or underline that phrase, two-edged sword. Again, the Bible, the Word of God, is a spiritual two-edged sword, and it is sharper than a natural two-edged sword. Okay? Two-edged. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 16. Go over there with me, please. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 16. Now, when the Apostle John was on the Isle of Patmos and he had the vision and the Lord Jesus appeared to him. And uh, he said in verse 12, well, actually the, the Lord spoke to him in verse 10. I was in the spirit of the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And he says, John says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands was one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and gird about the chest with a golden band, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had, now notice this, he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a what? A two-edged sword a two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Now notice that it says out of his mouth came this two-edged sword. Well, we already know Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Now you're there with me in, in Revelation. Go over to chapter 2 and look at verse 12. Now, again, the Lord saying to John and uh, verse 12 in chapter 2, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Who is that? Jesus. Jesus 
has the sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, or as, as John saw it, it was in his mouth. Now, here's the point of why I'm looking at this and making such a big deal about this phrase, two-edged sword. In the Greek language, in Ephesians 6, Hebrews 4.12, and Revelation 1 and 2, the word for two-edged sword there is the Greek word distomos, D-I-S-T-O-M-O-S. Now, Rick Renner, in his Sparkling Gems from the Greek, says this. He says, this phrase, two-edged, is taken from the Greek word distomos and is unquestionably one of the oddest words in the entire New Testament. Why is it so odd, he says? Because it is a compound of the word die, which means two, and the word stomos, which is the Greek word for one's mouth. Thus, when these two words are compounded into one in diastomos, they describe something that is two-mouthed. Two-mouthed. Don't you agree, Rick says, that this seems a little strange. So why would the Bible refer to the Word of God repeatedly as a two-edged, or literally, a two-mouthed sword? All right? Mm -hmm. Why do you think he would refer it? Well, one sharpened edge of the sword came into being when the Word of God originally came out of the heart and the mouth of God. The other, the second edge of the sword is added when the Word of God proceeds out of your mouth. See, when the Word of God in its written form, as we have it, is only a single-edged sword. It's only a one-mouth sword. But when we put the Word of God in our mouths and we say the same thing God has said, that's when the sword of the Spirit becomes a two-edged or two-mouthed sword. Now, Sunday, we talked a little bit about this because um, basically what you're doing is you're getting into agreement with what the Lord Jesus is already declaring over you, but the Word of God becomes a two-edged or two-mouthed sword when you put it in your mouth and say what God has already said. This is why meditation and confession of the word are so important. You're adding to, this is Rick Renner talking, you're adding to the reservoir of God's word you have stored up on the inside of you and the Holy Spirit can pull one of those scriptures up out of your inner man. Then as that verse begins to fill your mind and come out of your mouth, it becomes a two-edged sword. So this work of studying, meditating, and praying releases the word to become a part of your own inner being. So <clears throat> let, me, let me lay this out for you, okay? I'll tell you what, let's do something first before I say that. Go over with me to Luke chapter four, please. Luke, the fourth chapter. Now, would you agree with me that the Lord Jesus is a pretty good example to follow? Absolutely. Yes. I think everybody would. Okay. So 
What I'm asking you to do and what the Bible is telling us to do is exactly what Jesus had to do. You know, we have a misbelief about Jesus. Now, Jesus is and was 100% man and he was 100% God. But the Bible tells us in Philippians that Jesus set aside everything about himself that made him God, that made him divine when he came into the earth. He was born just like you and I are born. He was a child. He grew as a child, became a teenager, became a young man. And then at the age of 30, he entered into his earthly ministry. Now, what you need to understand is Jesus was not born into the natural earth with all of the divine knowledge that we assume he was. Because the Bible says clearly that Jesus grew in the wisdom of God and in the stature, in the, the, the fear of men or, or the, the belief in men. In other words, Jesus had to grow spiritually just like you have to grow spiritually. So in other words, what Jesus had to do is, and you, you, we've seen it, you know, he's starting at, at you know, we, the earliest record we have is at the age of 12 that he went, you remember where he went into the temple in Jerusalem when he was 12 years old and the Bible says he was talking and discussing with the religious leaders and asking them questions. What he was doing is he was going to the word of God and finding himself in the word. Okay. And as he found himself in the word, he began to meditate on that. He began to get it down on the inside of him so that he could become what God had already spoken over his life. Think about all the prophecies in the old Testament and everything that God had declared through the prophets of old about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus had to find those things out. Like, for instance, uh, and, and this is right before where I want to go read, but do you remember in, in uh, it says in Luke chapter 4, I'll tell you what, you're there, go to verse 1, all right? And he, was, he went through the, the temptation in the wilderness and, uh, you know, overcame the devil and all of that. And uh, after that temptation, you remember, he uh, went and he, he went into Nazareth and went to the synagogue and found the scroll from Isaiah where he stood up and declared, for the spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's uh, Luke 4, 18. For he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Here's, what, here's my point. Jesus did not make that up. Jesus found himself in Isaiah 61, what we have is Isaiah 61, and, and determined, the Holy Ghost revealed that to him, is that is who you are. So that's what gave Jesus the boldness to be able to stand up and say, hey, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel and so forth and so on. So here's, here's where I'm getting with this. Jesus had to meditate. He had to study. He had to pray over the word of God, just like you and I have to pray and study and meditate 
in the Word of God to get the Word down on the inside of us. Okay? Are you with me so far? Okay? Yes. All right. So go back with me to Luke 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Now here's something, here's what I want you to see in all of this. Jesus, yes, he had read this. Yes, he had studied that from, from the book of Deuteronomy, but it was a rhema word that the Holy Ghost brought up in his spirit at this moment to come back and to uh, defend himself, if you will, to this temptation. Okay, it was a specific word that the Holy Ghost quickened to him at this moment. Somebody says, well, pastor, how do you know that? Well, Jesus said later on in his ministry, I don't do anything unless I see the father do it. I don't say anything unless I first hear the father say it. Okay, so then the Holy, uh, the devil comes to him and, and uh, in verse five, then the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you in their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Again, another rhema word that the Holy Spirit brought up in the spirit of Jesus in order for him to use against his adversary. Then, verse 9, Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. See, now that the devil started to catch on and said, <laughs> Oh, so he's going back and using the word, I'm going to try using the word of God. So what he did is he took a couple of scriptures out of context and threw that at Jesus. Well, what did Jesus do? And Jesus answered, verse 12, and said to him, It has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Here's my point in all of this. Jesus needed the sword of the Spirit just like you need the sword of the Spirit. And the Holy Ghost brought that double-edged sword. Well, he brought the single-edged sword, the one-mouth sword up in Jesus' spirit. But notice this, the word became a two-mouth sword when Jesus put it in his mouth and used it against the devil. Now, notice what happened. The result of it was that and the devil had ended every temptation and departed from him until an opportune time. So what I, here's what I want you to see is that the Holy Spirit was able to draw a rhema word for Jesus because Jesus had spent a tremendous amount of time in the written word of God and we must do the same thing. People who receive frequent rhema words from the Lord 
are people who have made the Logos, the written Word of God, a central part of their lives. I'm going to say that to you again. People who receive frequent rhema words from the Lord are people who have made the Logos, which is Greek for the written Word, the written Word a central part of your life. Listen, if you, if you get into a hard place and you need the Holy Ghost to bring a rhema word up to you, then you have to have put the Logos word down in your heart ahead of time. Now, thank goodness for his mercy and his grace. You know, that's why, you know, he's given us brothers and sisters that love us, you know, and we can call on people to help us in times when we don't know what to say or know what to do. But the goal is, is for us to be depositing that word down on the inside of us so that we are ready and the Holy Ghost is able to bring that rhema word up out of our spirit so we can put it in our mouths and use it against the devil. Listen, he has, <laughs> well, let me go back to and remind you, uh, let me show you that little sword again, that little Makaira. Okay, again, think about this, all right? This is that Machaira sword. This is what Paul was referring to. There, the devil has no response for this. He has no armor that can protect him from this. And you remember I told you that it was extremely sharp and they bent the end of it up so it would, would when they pulled it out, it would gut their enemy. Well, let me tell you something. When you use the word of God on the devil, you are ripping him to shreds. You are, spiritually speaking, you are ripping his guts out. He has no defense for the word of God, and particularly a rhema word at that moment. Okay? So when the Holy Ghost moves on the inside of you and gives you that rhema word, put it in your mouth, use that against the devil, and he has no defense against that. Okay? Amen. Now, well, that puts me right at 8 o'clock. Now, here's what I, I want you to do is I want you to begin. Uh, I'm going to give you a little homework. And, you know, again, be studying, looking at Ephesians chapter 6, because next week we're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness. And let me show you what that breastplate looks like so you'll have an idea, okay? Um, do, 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 do. Well, let me bring this guy back up so you can kind of see. All right, this is the breastplate. Everything that you can see there covering this guy's chest. All right, now, can you imagine? Now, a legion of Roman soldiers was a minimum of 1,200 soldiers. Can you imagine being a, a, an enemy of Rome and looking out in the battlefield and there are at least 1,200, probably most likely more, soldiers with this breastplate on and notice how shiny it is and notice these belt straps that go across it that are holding pieces of armor and stuff all that did was the more they carried it, the more that leather rubbed on that breastplate, it shined it up. And the point being is they wanted it to be so bright and blinding 
to their adversary that there was no question who was coming. There was no question who they were getting to ready to run into on the battlefield. And so I just wanted to give you that little teaser because when Paul tells us, he says, having stand therefore, having your girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Okay. So you need to see yourself with a breastplate of righteousness that is just like that Roman soldier. And, and, and I'll show you some more of them. Uh, and actually they were very beautiful in the way that they would decorate some of them. Uh, but very, very important. So we'll talk about that next week. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.